Welcome to God's Truth. I'm Dr. D. Todd Harrison. As we continue to flood the world with the true gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm your instructor today. I'm excited to be here. I hope all of you are still. Uh, I hope all of you have recovered from the seven days of the. You know, like Ezekiel last week. You know, he was he was in shock, astonished for seven days after his visions and revelations. Hopefully, you've all recovered. Uh, this week has been seven days. Uh, uh, here we go again with the book of uh, Daniel, uh, again covering book of Daniel. You know, my heart goes out to the committee uh, the, the, at the church who put together the curriculum. You know, there's a long book of scripture this year in the Old Testament. I'm sure, bless their hearts, I'm sure they did the best they could. But it's been uh, quite sad and, and a little bit depressing at times when they excluded uh, chapters that definitely should have been in the curriculum. and they included chapters that were so far out from uh, you know from from what you would normally want in terms of teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ but I'm sure they did the best they can so we try not to fault them uh, today they're only selecting the section um, chapters one through six out of the 12 chapters of Daniel uh, we'll see that chapter seven and chapter 12 are probably the best ones and the most important chapters in the book of Daniel. So we'll, as an added bonus, uh, we'll include uh, uh, the part of chapter 12 and chapter 7 here in this great book of Daniel. We'll see once again Daniel, a mighty prophet and servant of the Lord God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had visions, revelations. He testified of the future coming, the second coming of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And of that same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he is alive. He lives today and he is soon coming forth from the clouds of heaven, as the Holy Scriptures describe it. And as the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel will testify today in chapter 7 to receive the keys of the kingdom from Father Adam and be crowned as Lord of Lords and King of Kings upon this earth for a 1,000-year millennium rest. Let's look today at Daniel, Daniel chapter uh, 1, of chapter 1 still written in Hebrew. Uh, we get to chapter 2, and whoever's writing down this uh, final version, at least, of the book of Daniel has learned Aramaic in the Babylonian captivity while they were there for those decades. And you, he obviously is more familiar and feels more comfortable in Aramaic, so he tries to write chapter one in Hebrew. He uh, realizes Aramaic is much more comfortable, so in chapter two, through the rest of uh, Daniel, he then changes languages and writes in Aramaic. And uh, we'll look here at the uh, book of Daniel, chapter one, verse eight through 15. And so the about uh, the first uh, deportation has taken place around 605 uh, uh, BC. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came outside of Jerusalem. They took away several captives and several influential people and uh, children of the influence. Uh, his parents were high in the leadership in Jerusalem, and uh, he wants to teach them in the uh, Aramaic language. He wants to train them up to be future counselors to him that he can gain other perspectives of having multiple uh, counselors from different countries, different cultural backgrounds. And uh, in verse, uh, and so he wants him to uh, eat his own food. You know, it's nice of him to share uh, and drink his wine. Uh, but the problem is we have this thing called the 
word of wisdom, right? And uh, the prescribing uh, things that we should be eating and thing and prohibiting uh, things we should not be taking into our bodies. So let's look here in chapter eight, but I mean uh, verse eight. But Daniel proposed. Uh, proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank, right? You should not drink wine. Several times we've read in the Old Testament, avoid wine and strong drink. He says here, therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself, that God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. As you're faithful with God and faithful in keeping God's commands, He'll bring people that uh, that will that you'll find favor in their eyes throughout your life to help you at different times to help God accomplish the purposes He has for you in your life, and that's what He's done here with this uh, head of the uh, the prince of the eunuchs here in verse nine. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces? Worse liking than the children which are of your sort. If if you look any different than the other Hebrews, he's going to blame me that I'm not feeding you properly. He said, then you'll make me endanger my head to the king. He's going to, you know, remove my head. I'll kill me. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah. These are going to be known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, prove thy service, I beseech thee, just 10 days. Just give us a 10-day trial. And let us uh, eat grain, which is what the word of wisdom says, to eat grain, right? And let's avoid, uh, let's drink water instead of wine. Let's see what happens after just 10 days. And uh, and, and then let, you know, so he does that. And they bring him before the um, uh, the king here. And verse 17, and as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, right? One of the benefits of the word of wisdom, you know, hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of eunuchs brought them in before King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king command communed with them and among them all was found none like Daniel so the king talks to him realizes none of them are as intelligent or as wise as Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah therefore they stood before the king and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them he found them 10 times better than all of his professional magicians and astrologers, these, of course, would be the descendants of the wise men who come and bring presents to baby Jesus uh, 500 plus years later, uh, and um, and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even into the first year of King Cyrus. So he's going to continue to serve. You could write the uh, rewrite the verse of scripture here in verse 21. And Daniel continued to serve in the administration, serve the kings until the first year of King Cyrus. We're going to see. Uh, he's going to uh, serve also uh, Bashazar, uh, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to serve Darius, uh, and uh, you know, and then first year of Cyrus here. So he serves multiple uh, kings here, uh, known for his great wisdom and understanding. And the kings are able to rely upon him. Why? Because he's keeping the word of wisdom and he's doing what God says. Very powerful uh, chapter here on the word of wisdom. Okay, move to chapter 2. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has this uh, famous dream, 
and uh, with the uh, stone cut out from the mountain, uh, he is troubled by it, and you know he asks his uh, counselors, uh, these astrologers and so forth, tell me this dream and the interpretation thereof. Uh, they won't do it, right? They can't do it, right? And uh, you know, ultimately, they say, "Look, there's king. There's no one on the. You know, he's saying, you, you guys want me to tell you the dream, so then you can just make up some interpretation that's going to make it sound make it sound good to me. But no, I want to know it's really the the true dream, the true interpretation. You got to tell me the dream and the interpretation. Well, king, no one can tell you that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, says there's no in verse um, in uh, to verse ten. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said. There is not a man upon the earth that could show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. And there is none, uh, none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Only the gods can tell you, but they don't dwell in the flesh. Now, watch this. Verse 12 For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. If only we had that reaction when people try to tell us that God, you know, has no flesh, that God is not a does not have a body of flesh and bones as Genesis 1, 1 through Revelation 21 tells us he does. When they tell us no, there's no flesh, he has no body, no parts, no passions. If only we would have that same reaction that King Nebuchadnezzar, the Gentile prophet, did, that we would be angry and very furious if they were to tell us uh, such false, abominable uh, doctrines and creeds. Uh, that, uh, and uh, so let's now move on. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they even sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. And so Daniel is asking um, uh, you know, what's going on? You know, why is he trying to kill all of us? And so the, uh, uh Ariok tells him, you know, what's going on, that the, he had this dream is bothering him. Uh, not, no one can tell him the interpretation thereof. So then Daniel goes before the king and says, look, I can do it, right? I got, my God can do it. My God's a revealer of secrets. My God is the God of wisdom and knowledge. He'll reveal to me what your dream is and the interpretation thereof. And so then we come here to verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions. He held a council, right? Lately, the uh, uh, leaders of the uh, church have been trying to, uh, uh, you know, teach the need to uh, uh, having councils that oftentimes revelation will come in councils. And that's what he did. He formed this council and they meet together to talk about this uh, event and and how they should seek the Lord and how they should get revelation uh, as to how they can find out what the dream is and how to interpret it. Okay, so then uh, verse 19, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. We know that uh, he, you know, the New Testament will teach that. Joseph Smith in the Articles of Faith and in other times have taught that. And we all know that God sets up and removes kings, even the wicked ones. 
We don't understand. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. We often won't under, do not understand why he puts certain people into government power, but he has a purpose. And it's all ultimately, to, all things shall be to, for good to those who love the Lord, right? So somehow it's a good thing. We may not see it currently, but someday we'll go back, look at the experiences we had in our life, realize why there were these kinds of leaders on the earth. He says, and um, he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deeper and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made me known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known to, unto us the king's matter, right? So he's revealed it. Here he goes in unto the king. Then verse 26, then the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I had seen in the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise man, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the vision thy head upon thy bed are these. So once again, he's answering, he said, these things that you had a dream of will happen in the last days. The last days reference to the time just before Jesus Christ coming back for his second coming, which will be a 1,000 year period of time in which Jesus Christ will reign on the earth. Okay, so then... Um, 29, as for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets, God, the true God, maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. Uh, 31 through 37. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee. And the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold. His breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which then smote the image, the image, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. This little stone came out. It grew. It destroyed the kingdom of Satan and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And we've seen that happen ever since 1830. This little stone coming forth out of the mountain, out of the holy habitation of God, out of the temple. Mountains symbolize the temple of God coming forth out of the of, these, uh, of the temple as the temple is restored uh, to the earth, temple worship restored to the earth. This little stone, this little church has been growing from six members in 1830 now to millions and millions, more than 16 million members here in the year uh, 2022. This will continue to go forth until it fills the whole earth as not only 
prophesied here by the vision given to King Nebuchadnezzar, but by all the holy prophets who spoke on this subject. And then, uh, and so then we go on here, let's see, 39 through 40. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, the kingdom of Satan. We read about this in the book of Revelation. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth with all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall break in pieces and bruise. And then 44 through 49. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, his church, his church is his, is his kingdom. He shall set up his church, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall be break, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms of Satan, of the devil, of the world. And it shall stand forever. We know the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. We will be uh, faithful saints will one day be invited to the marriage supper of the Lord Jesus Christ as the bridegroom marries the bride, marries his church once and for all and forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made it known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter and the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof. When God speaks through revelation, that revelation is certain. That revelation, the interpretation revealed by the power of the Holy Ghost is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshiped Daniel <laughs> and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet order, you know. And now, Daniel, you're a God, right? Let's sacrifice to you. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts. Sounds like Joseph, right, interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. That Daniel requested of the king, and he sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Okay, so that's a, a great way to end here in the, um, the chapter 2. Moving on to, to chapter 3. Uh, at the beginning here, uh, they're jealous now. You know, Daniel's uh, risen in power. Uh, so other uh, more native uh, Babylonians want to, uh, you know, discredit Daniel. They want to take back the power that Daniel has. They know that he's very faithful to the king. He's not going to do anything wrong that they can catch him. That the only thing they can do is use his religion against him, right? So they come up with this great plan. King, let's make this uh, golden image and, uh, you know, let's uh, have people uh, bow down and, and worship it. If anyone does not fall down. Or they should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery uh, furnace in that same hour. And uh, and so they go ahead. They sound off the uh, trumpets and everything. But uh, uh, Mesh, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow down and worship this uh, golden uh, image. 
so then the Babylonians come to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say, hey, you need to throw these uh, Jewish people into the fiery uh, uh, furnace. And then we look at um, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. So we know that he's capable. We know that God is capable of delivering us out of your hand and out of this fiery furnace. But if he does not, or if he's not, we still will worship him, right? And that we will not serve your gods, no worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's interesting, right? Because the end of chapter 2, he was worshiping, you know, the God of Daniel, and there's no God like the God of Daniel. Now, soon he forgot, right? Uh, and uh, so now uh, they go ahead and he uh, turns up the furnace seven times hotter, right? And they uh, throw him in there. And they These men were bound in their coats, in verse 21, their hoses and their hats and their other garments. Isn't that interesting? Their other garments, right? The, the garments that they're wearing under their clothes, uh, sacred uh, with, the, uh, with, um, uh, with reminders of the covenants that we make with God. And were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire was so hot that it killed the men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, fiery furnace. They all died right away just because it was so hot, right? And they fell down here in verse 23. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fiery furnace? And they said, Yes, that's true, king. He answered and said, Well, how come I see four men in there, right? Uh, and, and they have no hurt. They're just walking around in that fire. And the form of the fourth one is like the Son of God. He looks like a God, right? Now, Melchizedek came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, runs again, right? It seems to recognize that the God of the Jewish people were the, you know, is the true God, even more powerful than his false gods. But it doesn't last very long, does it? They come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head seen, neither were their coats changed, nor they didn't even smell like fire or smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. False, you know, uh, conversion, temporary conversion here, not true, everlasting conversion, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own God. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after the sort. Well, then why don't you come, Nebuchadnezzar, 
and join the church. Why don't you come and, and pledge your allegiance to the true God, the true God of the Bible. Don't worship any more false gods. Don't worship any false gods of the false creeds. You worship the true God, the one that has the power to save, the one that has the power to deliver from the fiery furnace, right? Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Chapter 4. Now we get a new uh, uh, vision and dream of Nebuchadnezzar of this uh, tree. Uh, let's look at verse 10 through 16. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed, Nebuchadnezzar speaking here. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven. And the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. And Nebuchadnezzar took control of the world, right? The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much. And in it was meat for all. And the beasts of the field had shadow unto it. And the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bowls thereof. And all flesh was fed on it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed. And behold, a watcher, a holy one. This is the watchers. They use the same word here from the book of Enoch, right? The, the watchers that came down had sex with the with the uh, Daughters of mankind to produce the giants. They actually use the same word here, watcher here, right? So he sees one of the watchers, one of these angels, right? And uh, he says here, watcher, a holy one comes down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, cut down the tree and cut off his branches and shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let his portion be with the beast and the grass of the earth. He'll be eating with the grass. Well, they're eating the grass with the beast, with the cows. Let his heart be changed for man's. And let a beast's beast heart be given unto him. And let seven times pass over him. Okay, so then 22. And so now they get Daniel involved, right? And his, the king's uh, wife comes says, Hey, there's a, you remember your father had this... Uh, I guess not Nebuchadnezzar. This is built. Let's see. No, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, uh, now that old Basil. Yeah. So uh, it's Nebuchadnezzar still. Is uh, he's um, uh, he knows about Daniel, and so they come get Daniel in verse twenty-two. It is thou, O king, the tree, this great tree. You became the head of the, uh, the Babylon, Babylon, right? You took over Jerusalem and. He took over all his neighboring countries. It is thou, O king, thou art grown and become strong. You became strong, Nebuchadnezzar. For thy greatness is grown and reaches unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it. Let yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass, and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let us portion be with the beasts of the field till sometimes pass over him. This is the interpretation. Here we go. Strong prophet Daniel, right? Uh, few people would dare say this to the king, right? But here he goes, right? He's not scared because he knows his God is more powerful than the king. If you fear God, you're not going to fear the king, right? You fear God, right? This interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High God, which has come upon my Lord the King, that they shall drive thee, Nebuchadnezzar, 
and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High God ruleth in the kingdom of man, and giveth it to, giveth it to whomsoever he will. Wow, right? Usually you say that to the king, you get killed, or you get your head chopped off, right? But Daniel said it, right? There's no need to be politically correct here. There's no need to to oh we're scared we might offend somebody. We better not we better not tell the king that if he doesn't repent, he's gonna go eat grass like the like the cows in the field, right? And that God's gonna cut him down. We better not tell him that. We better not warn him that. You know, it might hurt his feelings, right? It might might hurt his feelings, right? Anytime you bow down to political pressures, you bow down to political talk and political activism, you're scared to hurt somebody's feelings, you're not a faithful servant of God. It's very simple. The scriptures are full of this example over and over again. Here Daniel tells them directly. We saw last week in Ezekiel, if Daniel did not warn King Nebuchadnezzar, if he doesn't repent, God will cut him down, then Nebuchadnezzar's blood would be on Daniel's Head. Daniel would be responsible for that because he failed to preach the word of God. Okay, so then he says uh, uh, here in uh, 27, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto you, and break off your sins by righteousness and your iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening in thy tranquility. So repent, you know, show mercy to the poor live righteously, and maybe God will spare you from this, right? But what do we see in 28? All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. He did. He turned crazy for a while. We have other historical sources, not just here in the Bible, that talked about it. He indeed went out and lived in the fields with the animals for a while, right? He, he was, uh, you know, had some kind of mental illness or something came upon him. Okay, now 29 through 37. At the end of the 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. He had not repented. God gave him opportunities to repent. He's already showed him he's the great God, the revealer of secrets, because Daniel interpreted his dreams. He showed the King Nebuchadnezzar he had power over life and death by saving the three from the burning, fiery furnace, right? What else does King Nebuchadnezzar need? to show that God is God, right? And he's more powerful than his false God. And uh, But nevertheless, 12 months later, he's still walking around in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Verse 30, the king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power? Not God, even though we were just told that God raised him up to be a king. You know, he's not giving God the glory. He's taken upon himself. And for the honor of my majesty, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you. Powerful. And so then... Uh, and 32, and they shall drive thee from man, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And all these things did indeed uh, happen. And uh, verse 34, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, 
and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High God. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What are you doing? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, so he overcame his mental illness as he turned unto the Lord God. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors of my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to take down to the base. And so therefore ends Nebuchadnezzar. So apparently he converted, finally, after all the signs and wonders he had seen, he finally converted here at the end of his life. God removed the mental illness from him. He's no longer eating with the cows out in the pastures. His, king, his counselors are seeking his wisdom and his uh, judgments once again. Okay, we go to his son, Belshazzar, here in chapter 5, look at 3 through 6. And so he calls together this great party and brings a thousand nobles into the place and all his wives and his concubines. And what do they do? They bring out the golden vessels from the temple. <laughs> Sacrilege, right? <laughs> takes out the... Uh, the vessels from the temple, from the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, wives, and his concubines are drinking from them. Now that's bad enough, but wait till the next thing you see. They drink wine and praise the gods of gold, and the gods of silver, and the gods of brass, the gods of iron, the gods of wood and of stone. We've seen over and over again, the Lord God hates those who worship false gods. He is always making a big deal about it, right? This is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, the first thing he said in this dispensation, right? They, their creeds, their false gods are an abomination unto me, right? Therefore, they're going to bring the judgment of God upon them as they worship false gods, false creeds, and these sort of things. And so they, what do they see? In the same hour, in the very same hour, in verse 5, they see a, a man's hand, right? It starts writing a message on the wall. Now, as a result, the Belshazzar starts shaking in verse 6, right? And the joints of his loins were loose. And his knees smote one against him. He's just shaking. He's so terrified of this hand he just saw. So then he calls his astrologers and the soothsayers, asking, what does this mean? I'll even make you rich and give you a gold necklace and make you a ruler of one-third of my kingdom if you can tell me what's going on here. They, of course, can't do it. Then it was his wife that then tells him, hey, there, your father had this great counselor named Daniel who had the wisdom of the gods in him. Let's go get Daniel. They go get Daniel here to determine what's going on. Uh, verse 15. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation of, but they cannot show me the interpretation. And I have heard of thee that you can make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou can read the writing and make known unto me the interpretation, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck 
and thou shalt be a third ruler in the kingdom. Now, now watch this. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, make known to him the interpretation. Oh, really? <laughs> give, give the rewards and the gifts to another? Well, then how come the end of this chapter, when, when he interprets this, he, saw it, he, he immediately is, allows them to crown him, you know, the, this ruler, and put the gold necklace on him and all these things here in verse uh, 29. <laughs> Okay, so at the moment of week, you know, you know, so anyways, it's kind of hypocritical. But so Dad is trying to make himself this great guy. Oh, I don't need gifts. I don't need glory. I don't need this. But then later on, he's so willing to accept all those favors. He says, "Oh, thou King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor, and the most powerful king on the earth at that time." And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would kill and whom he would keep alive, who he'd put down and who he'd set up. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, lived out with the animals, eating grass. He says, and thou his son, in verse 22, O Belshazzar, you haven't humbled yourself either. Though you know all of these things happened to your father, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised, here we go, what God hates, right? And thou hast praised the gods of silver and of gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, they're false gods, they can't see, no body parts or passions can't see the false god of the apostate uh, of the apostate Christianity cannot see right no body no parts no passions cannot see he cannot hear right he doesn't have a body can't hear right he doesn't know anything right floating the essence everywhere yet nowhere present uh, all these things knows nothing and the Lord and the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways. As thou not glorified, you don't glorify the true God, you don't worship the God of the Bible, you need to repent of these things, or God will take your kingdom from you too. And he'll take all of your kingdoms from you as well, right? The kingdom, the glory that he's promised you to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ of all things that the Father had. If you continue to bow down and worship the false creeds of apostate Christianity, this False the God who can't see, as he says here, can't see, can't hear, doesn't know anything, right? You continue to worship that false God. God will take your kingdom from you and give it to another, one who is willing to humble himself, come unto the Lord God of the Bible, and worship the God of the Bible, and be baptized by those who hold the priesthood and authority of God and his church and kingdom. So salvation cannot come in any other way. You cannot worship a false creed and call it God and think that you're worshiping the true God. The true God of the Bible is totally different than the false abominable creeds. God himself calls those abominations in his sight. After 1,800 years of being silent in the heavens, first thing he said to the prophet Joseph Smith, their pastors, preachers, professors are all corrupt. 
and that they're uh, that they honor him with their lips they say jesus 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 but their hearts are far from him and that their creeds are an abomination in his sight their gods that is a false god false creed it's an abomination in the sight of God. You need to, those of you worshiping such false God need to repent and come unto the God of the Bible, except Jesus Christ of the Bible, the one who rose from the dead with a body of flesh and bones. He says in Luke 24 to his apostles in the upper room, handle me and see, touch me, see and feel. I have a, a spirit does not have a body of flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Thomas, hey, Thomas, why don't you reach into my side, your hands, and fill me and know I have a body of flesh and bones. I rose from the dead. I am not without body parts or passions. I am not a floating essence floating through the immensity of space everywhere, and yet at, at the same time, nowhere present. In other words, atheism, one times zero, one everywhere, one times Nowhere present, zero equals zero, right? Basic mathematics. It's zero. It doesn't exist. It's a, it's not, it's a false god. It's a non-living god. It's not a god. You need to repent, those of you worshiping false gods, and come unto the Jesus Christ of the Bible, the biblical Jesus, the biblical God. Forsake the false gods. Forsake the false creeds of the false apostate, so-called Christianity, but it's not Christianity, because in order to worship the very basic definition of a Christian, one who worships Jesus Christ. If you don't worship Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. It's very simple, very clear, such plain language that even elementary school children can understand such basic concepts like that. Okay, we continue on here. So because, Belsazar, you have not come into the Lord God, the God of the Bible, this is what's going to happen to you. Verse 24, then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Main, main, tekel, aparsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perish. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, and that's about to happen here in 538 B.C. when Cyrus the Great rises up and destroys the Babylonian Empire and allows the Jewish people to go home to Jerusalem, rebuild their temple to worship the true God of the Bible. And uh, then in 29, then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel. <laughs> they clothed Before he didn't want it, right? He didn't want the scarlet. He didn't want the chain of gold. He didn't want to be a ruler in the kingdom, right? But the <laughs> then in a moment of weakness, I guess, right away, right? He's No, no protest here of Daniel, right? <laughs> Daniel does not protest here. Let's have put the chain of gold about his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then what happens? And that night, Belshazzar, the king of the, Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, was slain. He died in that very night. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So now King Darius rises to the throne. Let's see what the, how Darius does with his life, right? 
chapter 6. So here he makes Daniel the first president. Uh, um, again, now they try to uh, uh, go after uh, Daniel here, and they um, and they uh, uh, say, okay, if, if, if anyone worships any god other than you, king, for the next 30 days, we'll throw him in the lion's den. And according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, once you declare that, you can't change it, no matter how much you want to. And so they uh, roll out this, uh, he thinks, oh, this sounds like a brilliant idea. He forgets temporarily that Daniel will not do this, even though he has great respect for Daniel. And so they go ahead and they make this decree. And what does Daniel do? He continues to go into his uh, room, open the windows, prays towards the holy city, Jerusalem, three times a day, and they catch him, right? They, they find him praying, they, you know, go to the king. They say, hey, you know, you made this proclamation. You need to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And so the, he realizes the mistake he had made uh, in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. So he's finding, looking, searching the law, trying to find a way to out of this situation to rescue Daniel. And so they come again. They say, hey, you know, it was the law, you know, king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree, no statute which the king established may be changed. So you have no choice. You got to throw him into Daniel, into the lion's den. So they take Daniel. They put it in there. They, they put him in there. They put, bring the stone, they seal the mouth of the den. Uh, even they had to stamp it with his uh, own ring. And uh, so he goes to the palace, he fasts all night, he fasts, he prays, probably to the true God of the Bible, right? Daniel's God, the God of Jerusalem, the God of Israel, the God of the whole earth. And so he prays all night, he can't, you know, he doesn't want to hear music, doesn't want to have any celebration. And he rises up early in the morning after he can't sleep all night. And he hurries to the den of the lions. And in verse 20, when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest, continually able to deliver thee from the lions. Then Daniel speaks. Right? I'm sure he was shocked when he, when he spoke back, right? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. <clears throat> For as much as before him, innocency was found. I was innocent before God and I'm innocent before you, O king. I've done you no hurt. No hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no man of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Maybe we should read that part again. No manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God, right? All through life, all of us are going to face all kinds of trials, temptations, uh, sufferings, uh, things like that. But if ultimately we continue to believe in God, ultimately no hurt will come upon us, right? Only that which God allows us in terms of conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The reason we have trials, tribulations in life to conform us into Jesus Christ. We see in, in Hebrews chapter five, that even Jesus Christ, the sinless one, the sinless one, the only 
person ever lived on the earth that was sinless, yet he did not become perfect except after going through the things in which he suffered, right? He became perfect through the things that he suffered. That ultimately, the most of his suffering was what? The end of his life, right? And the uh, crucifixion and the trials before the Sanhedrin and the Garden of Gethsemane. These sort of things, you know, you know, were the ultimate suffering in his life. He became perfect at the end, right? And so it is with us. We will go through trials, tribulations through life. But as we continue to remain faithful to God, he can continues to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, until one day and we will become perfect like Jesus Christ became perfect. Sinless, yes, not perfect, right? Perfect later on at the end of his life after the resurrection from the dead. The sufferings, including his being killed before he became perfect, right? According to Hebrews 5, he died, was crucified, became perfect as he rose from the dead. And so it is with, with all of us, that opportunity. Okay, so that does that take care of, uh, uh, let's see. And then he goes down here, let's see. And then in verse 25, he says, uh, uh, Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, man should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. Hopefully this temporary uh, conversion will last. Right? Hopefully it's a true conversion. And steadfast forever in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. His God, his dominion shall be unto the end, right? He delivereth and he rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius in and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian, right? So again, Tron tells he made it all the way, right? Most people that serve in high government positions last for one president, right? or one king, and he made it through three plus Cyrus the Persian, right? And they've told us that multiple times here. Okay, now let's move to chapter 7 and 12. Here's the more spiritual aspects here today of the book of Daniel. Again, unfortunately, the committee, whoever was, they did their best. I tried not to fault them too much. Right? I'm sure they tried their best on the committee to write down which chapter. You know, they knew we didn't have time to cover everything this year. I don't know why they went through those six chapters, but here we get the good stuff here in chapter 7 and in chapter 12. So let's look now at chapter 7, and um, we'll look at uh, verse, uh, begin with verse 7. So first of all, he sees this, uh, uh, Daniel now has the vision, right? And he sees the vision, and he sees these four great beasts coming up out of the sea, different from each other, and then he goes and describes what you know each of them look like. Verse 7, And after this, <clears throat> I saw in the night visions, and behold, the fourth beast, now this is the beast from the book of Revelation, we'll look at that more next year, uh, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth that devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered, though, remember, this is also in the book of Revelation, you know, the, 
Yeah, so uh, this is bringing Book of Revelation and Daniel together. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great blasphemous things. In verse 9, here we go. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, these kingdoms of the world were destroyed, and the Ancient of Days, Father Adam is the Ancient of Days, Father Adam did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne, and here we go again, we've seen this how many times now, we continue to see this over and over again in the scriptures, they don't know, you know, they don't have the vocabulary in those days, you know, they don't have airplanes and space shuttles and you know these sort of things right they don't have even uh, boats with mortars that that can go fast in the ocean they don't know how to describe what they keep seeing in this in these flying objects transporting heavenly beings through the heavens and so forth so uh, we looked at this last week too in ezekiel so here's his daniel's description he says his throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels now, he does know wheels because they have chariots, right? So he knows there's wheels here, right? That he gets right, right? There's this fiery flames flying through the heavens with carrying Father Adam, right? And uh, But the, he's got wheels, right? He knows the wheels. He has vocabulary for the wheels uh, as burning fire. Now, watch this. And it's a little bit uh, difficult to understand what's going on here. But we got the beast, right? And we got Father Adam now. They've just destroyed the kings of the world. Beast still alive. So now a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, right? Some sort of missile, some sort of bomb came. And what look what happens here. He's going to blow up you know, and destroy the body of, this, of the beast from Bo of Book of Revelation, right? A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, right? From this chariot, this, this flying object, this UFO, whatever you want to call it, unidentified flying object flying through the heavens with Father Adam having wheels, this fiery flame comes out of this object, right? And he says here in, uh, uh, in verse 11, And I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain from this, from this fiery stream that comes forth out of this flying object, and until uh, even the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame, right? It was consumed as this missile or bomb comes shooting out of this flying object right the, the father adam's flying around it and it blows up the uh, the the beast the, the same beast here from the book of revelation and so then what happens here at the end of verse 10 then thousands thousand thousands minister unto father adam and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before father adam the judgment was set and the books were opened so mighty, mighty uh, uh, revelation here. Uh, let's look next at uh, uh, 13 through 14. I saw in the night vision, so he's still having these night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. So Father Adam comes, shoots this missile at the beast, blows up the beast, consumes his body, he lands with these wheels that he has here in verse 9. 
Then Jesus Christ comes from the clouds of heaven again. We've talked many times about that. We see that over and over again. Jesus is not flying through. <laughs> Jesus is not flying up in the clouds like Superman, right? The, you know, he's not the clouds themselves. You can't really sit on them, right? <laughs> the clouds are not moving Jesus, right? You know, this is the description again. They don't know how to describe it. It looks like a cloud, whatever this flying object is that took Jesus up. Remember in the book of the Acts, they said, you know, they see Jesus go up in this in this cloud of heaven and fly away, right? And then they're so astonished, the apostles are looking up like, what's going on? I've never seen anything like this. And the angels appear and say, you know, you man of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? That same Jesus just saw go up in the clouds. And fly off. We go up into this flying object that looks like a cloud and fly off. Well, one day come forth back in this same type cloud-like looking object, you know, and, and come back to the earth. So here Daniel seeing Jesus coming back from those in those clouds. Not the actual clouds you see out, out your window, right? But out of something that looks like, yeah, you know, if you don't have the vocabulary for it, you would describe it as a cloud-like object, right? Coming out of this cloud, right? So Jesus coming up the clouds of heaven. He's going to land, you know, in, in front of Father uh, Adam here, right? And then he's going to be crowned here. And uh, verse uh, 14, and there was given him. So now Adam, as the presiding uh, uh, patriarch of the earth, right? The first man uh, of the uh, gospel dispensation, right? Let's be careful maybe how, how we want to say this. But uh, uh, Adam being of the Adamic dispensation of having the... Uh, uh, gospel of jesus christ uh, preached upon the uh, earth uh he's therefore the uh, presiding officer over the uh these uh you know dispensations each thousand years of the dispensation had a different presiding officer he's overall seven of them right and uh and so he's now going to give the dominion and glory to christ watch this and there was given unto him jesus christ from father adam dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So, so powerful here. This is at the meeting of Adam on Diamon. Uh, a lot of the uh, prophets will have returned to witness this uh, meeting. A lot of the faithful saints will be there at this meeting. And then, uh, and then we'll move on to uh, verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth, right? This king kingdom, Adam just gave the, Father Adam just gave to Jesus Christ, uh, shall be given, then be given by Jesus Christ, right, to his saints, to the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve don't obey Jesus Christ. And so that's uh, uh, chapter 7, so powerful here with the uh, uh, meeting at, the, at um, Adam on Diamond, uh, Jesus Christ coming from the clouds of heaven, uh, appearing before Father Adam, who's also come back to the earth in this dramatic fashion and shooting and blowing up the beast. And then, uh, and then you know, being crowned uh, from Father Adam now as Lord of lords and king of kings of this earth, now given it unto Jesus Christ. The earth now is Jesus Christ. And, um, and so that's chapter 7. Okay, now we'll move to chapter 12. 
and we'll look at the book of the apostasy and restoration of the gospel once again here. So we're going to look at chapter 12, uh, verse 11 through 12, and we'll also look at Revelation uh, 12, 6. Now, maybe we look at Revelation 12, 6 first. I wasn't sure exactly what order to, to go here, but let's uh, uh, look at Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse 6. So you got that. Go ahead and look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 6. And the woman... Remember, the woman is representative of the church. And the church, the woman, the church, fled into the wilderness. So she left, right? Apostasy took place. Where she had the place prepared of God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, uh, the uh, yom is the Hebrew day, right? But it also means year. It also means appointed time. It also means, you know, a, a definite period of time, right? It, it has a lot of different meanings. In prophetic time, days are years, right? And it's interesting because even we look at the Joseph Smith translation, he does it as years here, right? This is years. So we're saying that the apostasy takes place. The woman, the church, is going to leave the earth for a time being, she's going to flee into the wilderness for 1,260 years, right? So apostasy takes place 1,260 years. So now how do we determine what year did the apostasy take place in? So for that, we need to go over to Daniel. So Daniel, again, we see how it's very compatible in helping us to understand the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation helps us understand Daniel, chapter 12, verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. All right. Okay, so again, prophetic days, these are therefore years. One thousand. 290 years, right? So now what are we talking about here? The daily sacrifice. From the time the daily sacrifice should be taken away. What were the, the priests in the Old Testament responsible for doing? If you hold the priesthood, what do you do? You perform daily sacrifices unto the Lord, right? So in other words, from the day that the priesthood is taken from the earth shall be 1,290 years years right so now what do we get here right so uh, he's talking about since all of this trouble began right when did all this real trouble that we've been looking at recently here in the old testament take place right we had had the hundreds of years that the prophets kept telling the people both the kingdom of israel and the kingdom of judah in the south repent <laughs> repent or god's gonna destroy you repent israel northern kingdom Ephraim, uh, repent tribe of Ephraim, the order of kingdom of Israel. Remember, they split off when Solomon dies. We get two kingdoms, kingdom of Israel in the north, led by Ephraim. <laughs> you know, the great faithful ones of the Old, Old Testament, not, right? Uh, led by uh, the wicked Ephraim and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And, uh, and so what happens? Israel gets it first, right? So we keep warning both kingdoms. 
You know, you're going to get destroyed if you don't repent, if you don't turn from false gods, right? That's the great sin, false, false creeds, false gods. If you don't turn from those false things, you'll be destroyed. So kingdom of Israel destroyed in 720 uh, BC, right? So we get the uh, 720 uh, BC and... Uh, We get uh, 720 BC when the uh, 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 when the um, Assyrians come in, destroy Israel, and lead the ten tribes off into you know and in, into in become the famous lost ten tribes, right? So that happens 720. So he's saying from that time, from the time all this trouble, all these judgments of God has come upon us, Northern Kingdom. Uh, being being destroyed and led off captive, and then we were destroyed later on by the Babylonians after the Babylonians had taken over the Assyrians, right? So, but all of this goes back to the 720 BC. So, from 720 BC and until the day that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, the priesthood shall be taken from this earth, right? From you know, from that period of time, from 720 BC till the time that the priesthood be taken from the earth shall be a period of 1,290 prophetic days, which are years, 1,290 years. So we take our calculator and we do 720 B.C. and we subtract 1,290. What year do we get? 570 A.D., right? When does the apostasy take place? 570 A.D. When's the priesthood? The daily sacrifice taken from the earth, the priest taken from the earth, 570 A.D. And the abomination that maketh desolate, dry, wilderness, right? It's a desolate, right? The apostasy, right? The apostasy is that abomination that making the earth desolate, desolate from hearing the word of God. As all the prophets have testified, the day was coming, which there would be a famine of hearing the word of God, right? It's desolate now. The earth desolate now apostasy is taking place the abomination being apostasy there'll be 1290 years that's 570 a.d so we get 570 a.d the woman in revelation 12 6 should we turn there again those of you uh, need to read this here again in revelation uh, 12 uh, 6 i'll get there too and read it to here in Revelation uh, chapter 12 and verse 6. And the woman, the church, in 570, flees into the wilderness where she hath the place prepared of God. God was the one responsible for taking the for you know taking the priesthood from the earth, taking the true church of Jesus Christ from the earth, taking his kingdom from the earth. Here, the woman. Reserving it unto himself to be restored in the latter days in preparation for the return of his son, Jesus Christ, to reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He says, and the woman, the church, fled into the wilderness where she hath the place prepared to God that they should feed her there 1,260 prophetic days, years, right? 1,260 years. Did we see the Joseph translation? Same years here. So 1,260. So we take our calculator, 570 A.D. 
and we're going to add 1,260 years to that. And what year do we have? 1830. 1830 A.D. Now, what happened in 1830 A.D.? April 6th. April 6th, 1830 A.D., the church and kingdom of God is once again brought forth out of the wilderness. The woman comes out of the wilderness here from Revelation 12, 6. The church is established once again upon the earth. The priesthood has been brought back. Revelation has been brought back. Apostles have been brought back upon the earth. 1830 in fulfillment of these prophecies in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation. Now we go to chapter, uh, we stay in chapter 12 of Daniel and we want to look at the next one here in verse 12. Blessed is he or she that waiteth, that waiteth. And that always means in the scriptures that they wait through tribulation, through trials. Blessed is he or she that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and thirty-five prophetic days or years, right? So this is now 45 years later. What happens around the year 1875? Brigham Young lives to when? 1877, right? 1875, we're near the end of the life of Brigham Young. Uh, the All the contenders that we had had for the last 45 years, you know, they've, they've all, you know, gone their either separate ways or have died off now. As when Joseph Smith was killed, uh, there were different uh, factions, different uh, uh, groups who, who, you know, they didn't have a clear, they didn't know who was going to be in charge of the church now, right? And they all had different opinions. And so it was a Time of 45 years of trials, tribulations uh, for members of the church, not knowing exactly who to follow. And uh, by 1875, near the end of the life of Brigham Young, it's now been clear. God has made his hand uh, very uh, well shown that he is that the true church has continued in the form of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that Brigham Young was the second uh, prophet of the church, and that in, uh, two years later, in 1877, John Taylor will become the prophet of the uh, true church and kingdom of God upon the earth. So blessed are those who wait through this tribulation of 45 years when you have this group saying they're the true church, this other group saying they're the true church, that they're the successor to Joseph Smith, this other group is the successor to Joseph Smith, until in 1875, 45 years later, there's peace, there's rest now, it's very clear. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that uh, a successor to the kingdom of God restored in April, on April 6th of 1830 in fulfillment of these prophecies, both in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation. So what a great lesson once again we've had here today. Uh, all those theme, the same themes we keep seeing in the scriptures are here, apostasy, of the Christian truth, restoration of the Christian church in the latter days, preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. For those of you not yet members of God's church and kingdom upon the earth, we issue you a direct invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ to repent, to come unto him, forsake your sins, be baptized by those who hold the priest and authority of God in the waters of baptism in symbolic representation of the death, burial, 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ and into a new Christian walk of life as you now are on the path leading back to the Heavenly Father's presence. We welcome you. We invite you to join. We will leave in the description of this video a link. Just click on it. Contact the missionaries. Let them know you're willing to take your, take upon yourself the name of Jesus Christ and become a member of his church and kingdom upon the earth. For those of you fond of inactivity in the church, we issue you an invitation as well to come on back. Come on back. Be part of the saints of God. Be part of this kingdom, this mighty kingdom. Be part of the stone that was cut out from the mountain. And that is growing and growing till it fills the whole earth. It's exciting. It's exciting to be uh, with fellowship with the saints of God each week in church. So we welcome you to come back and reach out to your, your leaders and and have them help you become active once again in the church and kingdom of God. He'll pour out his blessings upon you with peace and joy and happiness. We conclude again with our testimony of these things, that these things that we've discussed today again are indeed true. They are God's truth. And we ask God to pour out a blessing upon your heads, that you shall have bread to eat, you should have safe shelter overhead, that God will bless you with your incomings and your outgoings, that you'll have the basic necessary financial resources you need to accomplish your mission in life. And we bless you to have opportunities that as you desire to be an instrument in the hands of God, of serving him and your fellow beings, that those opportunities will open up to you. More opportunities than you could even fulfill in your life if you really seek for it and want to and have that desire of your hearts to serve. He'll open all kinds of ways for you to serve him and be a great blessing unto others here in his kingdom. We leave this blessing upon your heads. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.